Hello and welcome to Where's the Exit, the podcast for tech entrepreneurs who are looking to leverage their intellectual property to maximise their exit valuation. I'm your host, Steve Blake, and today I'm joined by Donald O'Connell. Welcome to the show, Donald. Thank you very much. Hi, Steve. And it's not the first time you've been on the show. Um, you know that you were actually the very first episode that I recorded. I don't know if you remember that. I do indeed. And it was uh, it was a nice experience. So I'm, I'm very happy to be back. Thank you very oh, much. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're not mean on this on this podcast. So no, no tough questions, I promise. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, I think anybody with any with even the most sort of passing interest in the subject of today's podcast, which is trade secrets and also IP management in general, will know who you are. But for those few remaining that don't know, can you give sort of a brief intro um, about your experience in the area and sort of what you're doing now with your your business at the minute? Um, well, first of all, I should probably start by saying I'm not an attorney. My background is engineering, having worked with companies like Atari and Philips and in through the sure. engineering career ladder at Nokia. Yeah. But moved sideways in Nokia and became director of IP. So I ran their in-house patent factory. Mm-hmm. It was a good nickname for it for many years. And then left in 2009, set up my own company, um, which has three parts to it, a strong focus on IP education and awareness, some consultancy, and then the design and development of some IP tools to automate certain aspects of IP. But you're right, trade secrets is one of our focus areas. We're, we're quite intrigued with that. And I can explain later perhaps what triggered our interest in that. Yeah, that's that's great. Uh, and I know you've been around sort of IP management in some sort of big businesses and then in your own businesses as well um, for quite a while now. But I don't know if you've if you'd agree with this, but I think that trade secrets, which is what we're going to talk about today, the idea is we're going to kind of put, let's uh, say we're going to give people a good explanation of exactly what it is, first of all, because I think that's worth doing. It's always a good idea. Um, and then sort of work through some practical tips about what an SME can and should be doing um, where they need to maybe get some support, things like that, and kind of work through the process so that people can come away with some useful, actionable stuff. Um, but even though I think it's it's getting a lot more attention, I think you'd probably agree, but feel free to disagree if you, if you don't. Um, but I still feel like it's really quite misunderstood, even in the IP sector. I don't think many IP professionals get it completely. And if they don't get it, then I'm pretty sure that their clients uh, don't get it too. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Um, well, obviously, um, IP is an umbrella term and it's made up of yeah. different forms, patents, mm-hmm. trademarks, et cetera, et cetera, including trade secrets. And not just trade secrets, but each of the forms have their own oddities and idiosyncrasies. So yeah. if it was your first time dealing with patents, you'd also be probably thinking that's a strange form of IP and what's that yeah. all about? So, yeah, but the enough. same applies to trade secrets. Clearly trade secrets do have their oddities and idiosyncrasies. Um, it's um, it, Within IP, there are some forms that are registered where you have to go and knock on the door of the government office and apply for it and so forth. Yeah. And other forms are unregistered and trade secrets mm-hmm. fall in the category of unregistered. So there's no yeah. interaction with a government department. There's no there's no application, there's no um, correspondence back and forth, there's no payment of official fees. Now, mm-hmm. you can see that at board is a positive and negative thing. Well, I don't have to worry about any interaction with the government, but you can also see that as a negative. Well, I don't have an 800-pound gorilla holding my hand. I've got to do it on my own. Yeah. And I suppose that's, that's one oddity or one um, thing that needs to be borne in mind when it comes to trade secrets. Unlike, for example, say patents or registered trademarks, there's none yeah. of that interaction. You you are yeah. pretty much on your own. Yeah. Um, 
The, cheaper, cheaper as a result, though, right? Cheaper, yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it does mean you've got to think about, okay, well, wh what is it that I have to do? And uh, then do I have the discipline to do it and keep doing yeah. it to make sure that I'm looking after these sure. assets? And these are assets. Um, it's an interesting form of IP as well in that it's, I think, the only form of IP that has value in the definition. So yeah, the information course, yeah. must be of value to qualify. You know, you can have a patent, but it could be worthless. <laughs> but you'll still get a patent from the patent office. You could have a yeah. trademark that's worthless, but you can't have a trade secret that's worthless mm. because if it's worthless, it has no value. Therefore, it, it fails the definition. And the definition is relatively simple. Uh, the information is business information that meets three um, criteria. The information must be secret. It must have value. And that, that value, in a sense, comes from the fact that it's also secret. And you must take reasonable steps to protect it. So you could argue, well, why do we even need this podcast? It's a very simple definition. Business information yeah. at secret value and take reasonable steps. But um, perhaps this simplicity also confuses people. Um, so um, what does that actually, what do those three things mean in practice? Let's delve a little bit deeper. So yeah. obviously, if I can find that information through a Google search or I can read it on the Sunday Times or the New York Times, then it's not secret. So yeah. You've got to realize what secret means. It means that it's not readily or easily um, ascertainable by another. You've got so to think about that's like, interesting. limiting access. We should explore that, though, because the definition of secret, is that diff different to the definition of a prior disclosure in patents, for example? Um, well, here's, here's the other auditing uh, um, idiosyncrasy with it. So the, the law basically says those three requirements, secret, um, value, and um, reasonably protected. But if you if you look at the law, it doesn't go into that much detail to clarify these things. So okay. it assumes you understand what secret means. It is sort of assumes you understand what value means. And it understands it assumes that you understand what reasonable. But it, the challenge is sometimes to think, well, what actually does that mean for our particular circumstances? Mm. So, so for example, let's say you're a small startup company with four persons in a garage. Yeah. Well, all four of you knowing the information, that's probably perfectly okay. Okay. But now let's take you're a multinational with 120,000 employees. Yeah. All 120,000 employees having access to the information, that's a problem. Yeah. <clears throat> because suddenly you'd be hard pressed to argue in court that you're keeping it secret. So it's almost on a case by case basis, you've got to look and say, well, sure. Are we keeping, is this really secret? Same thing of value. It doesn't say that 10 pounds or $10 or 10 euros, that's okay. That's, that qualifies, but nine pounds or euros or dollars, that's not valuable enough. It says, again, so what, what's the value to a trade secret to a four-person startup might be totally different to a trade secret of value to a large multinational. Sure. The law doesn't put a financial number. It says it must have value to your business. So you need to be able to articulate how the hell does this information add value to our business in, in, in its form as a trade secret. And in the third one, reasonable, well, What's reasonable to you, Steve, may not be reasonable to me. So I might think, well, reasonable to me means you must lock it in a, a safe, encrypt it, have an armed guard, <laughs> and you must convert your company into something that looks like a North Korean prison. Whereas another company might say, well, that's a bit of an overkill. Uh, that's not reasonable to me. So again, reasonable throws up lots of issues. Well, what is reasonable? But, it, but clearly, you must take reasonable steps. So no steps being taken to protect the information means you have no trade secret. Yeah. But, but what is reasonable, you've got to think 
as in your company say, well, what, what is reasonable to us? And can we, if we later on have a dispute, are we able to articulate that? Yes, the steps we've taken that was reasonable. are reasonable. Yeah. 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 And we can um, come on to that because when we go through kind of what people can and should be doing around these things, then we can have a sort of a conversation, I guess, around yeah, what people yeah. do with it, with the, with the reasonable steps and all, and all that sort of stuff. Um, but so now that we've established kind of what it is in the legislation, what is it? I mean, most commonly for a tech business, which is who we're talking to today, um, what types of things do you often see coming up? How should they, when, when will they spot these things? You know, how, how will, will they know? Well, information which may qualify as a trade secret probably permeates their business. Yeah. So um, that's, again, another difference perhaps when they got to patents and trademarks, which tend to be a little bit concentrated. And let me explain the difference between concentrated and diluted here. So most patents start as inventive ideas, and most inventive ideas start perhaps in the research and development function, although that's not always true, but in, in general it is. Yeah. Uh, trademark, the ideas for trademarks probably start in the marketing uh, department. Yeah. But trade secrets permeate your company. So if you go into any corporate function, so there'll definitely be trade secrets inside an R&D environment, yeah. maybe test scripts, software code, process descriptions, and so forth. But there'll also be trade secrets in your operations, maybe manufacturing processes, test data from your manufacturing. You go into your finance, your, your financial information, your cost information, you go to sourcing and procurement, your supplier database, and all the information you have about them. So uh, that's, it, it, it takes a while to understand that trade secrets, really, they're, they're very broad in nature. Yeah. I do hear some people talk about, incorrectly talk about the words hard and soft trade secrets to distinguish between technical and non-technical, but nowhere is that mentioned in the law. There's no. there's no difference as far as trade secrets as to whether we're dealing with, for example, a client list or financial information or a technical process or raw data or software code. If it meets the requirements of its secret, its value, and you've taken reasonable steps, yeah, potentially you've got a trade secret in your hand. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, I, I would say, most companies have possessed trade secrets, or rather, most companies possess information which, if they manage properly, would probably be a trade secret. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, and I wonder. Them is another question. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, but yeah. I think the sort of, I think the breadth of it, the fact that it can sort of, they can appear anywhere, um, is what can make it so confusing. Right? Everybody kind of gets a rough idea about what patents protect. Everybody kind of has a rough idea about what trademarks protect, but these things, trade secrets can, as you say, be anywhere and arise from any sort of function within your business, from R&D, ops, procurement, um, even sort of sales. Yep. Um, and that sort of that sort of area. Um, and so it kind of makes it a bit more difficult. But I guess if people come back to those three things, and then particularly the second of those three things, which is, is it does it have value to your business? If your competitor got hold of this, would it remove an advantage from you or give an advantage to them? Then is that a fair, yeah. a fair yeah. thing it, to think about? Absolutely. And and sometimes, unfortunately, I see people using terms or phrases interchangeably as if they're the same thing. So in mm. a company, you'll have you'll have confidential information, yeah. you'll have know-how, and you'll have trade secrets. And okay. some assume that they're all the same, but I suggest that there's subtle and maybe not so subtle differences between them. So yeah. Let me give an example. So um, um, the CEO of the business may have a desk phone on their desk, 
but doesn't want that number to be widely distributed. They'd prefer people, if they want to contact the company, contact reception or contact his or her receptionist or whatever. Sure. Yeah. So he decides or she decides that my direct telephone number will be kept confidential. Now, mm -hmm. I understand that's confidential. There's yeah. no way that number does a trade secret. It's no, just it's confidential information. Or, yeah. for example, your company has a business bank account and the bank issues you a, a ATM type card and says, here's your four digit pin number. That four digit pin number is clearly confidential information, but just, it's not a trade secret. It doesn't give you a competitive advantage the fact you've got an ATM card. Everybody else has an ATM card. They just have a different four digits. So you have, I think companies need to distinguish between the stuff that is confidential but it's not a trade secret. It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't have this value component. Yeah, the difference there is the value, isn't it? Yeah. But it, it, interestingly, it, this so, is probably a bit geeky. But um, so that telephone number of the CEO is not valuable to the to their business. But if it appeared in a database of potential customers or customers and clients for another business then it could become valuable information to that business, right? It might. It might be an element of their of their supplier or their client uh, yeah. list, which is a trade secret. Yes, you have that yeah. You have that, uh, that situation. Sorry, and I was just keeping it No, 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 no. <laughs> and then um, I see also the term know-how being used. But I, mm. I, I tend to distinguish between trade secrets. So I see trade secrets as requiring to be documented, whereas yeah. know-how yeah. sits in the employee's heads. Yeah. Now, of course, some employee know-how may qualify as a trade secret, but the difference is um, the test I use, if that employee resigns tomorrow morning and walks out the door, mm -hmm. does he or she walk out with their head, their brains? Yeah. yeah. So, which means the following day, it's no longer an asset under your control. You, you've lost that asset. Yeah. Whereas a documented trade secret is an asset of the company. Now, if the employee walks out with that documented on a memory stick or whatever, that's trade secret theft. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, Admittedly, in certain jurisdictions, the, the, there's a gray line between trade secrets and know-how, and some trade secret laws don't perhaps clarify that too much. And But it may be, of course, that it's not a trade secret issue. It may be a competitor, um, 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 what do you call it in the US, um, uh, an employee's uh, non-compete clause issue or yeah, whatever, okay, the yeah. employment agreement, whatever. So it could be another type yeah. of issue. But I, I like to distinguish between confidential information, trade secrets, which are a subset, but they have this extra component, which is it adds value to the business. It's a, it, gives us a, it gives us a competitive advantage in some way, shape, or form. Right. And in okay. know-how, which is also can be very similar, but I see it having um, – and, of course, you have some know-how that's got no value. I mean, I claim to know how to, do, how to grow roses in my garden, <laughs> but it's not a trade secret. If I tell nice. my neighbor, I still have that know-how, and now she does as well. Yeah. But it's it's know-how. So know-how isn't always the same as trade secrets. Either. Okay. Okay. Um, all right. Um, so now that we understand a bit more about what it is, and I mean, I guess let's let's try and establish the risk here as well. Um, so what's the imperative, right? We've touched we've touched on the idea that this is valuable information to a business, um, and that I think every business has that valuable information that it probably would not want its competitors to to know but if this stuff remains unmanaged um what is the risk why should people care okay well the important thing to realize is the trade secret law protects you against theft mm -hmm. it does not protect you against independent creation or yeah. it does not protect you against reverse engineering 
So mm -hmm. it's not like a patent where I have a patent, I can go after somebody else. If I have a patent, for example, in, in Germany, I can go after somebody in Germany for infringing my patent, even though that person in Germany doesn't even know I exist. So patents yes. have a, give you a totally different right. So trade secrets only protect you against theft. Mm -hmm. So obviously you've got to think, is there a danger that that information gets stolen? Either a disgruntled employee walks out the door, um, a director or officer of the company decides to go and set up a competing company, uh, an investor in your company who knows about your trade secrets tells somebody else, a key supplier, yeah. a key customer, a hacker from uh, some criminal enterprise, a hacker from some state actor, they can steal that information. Okay. So and does then, it require that? Because that, I mean, you know, information can exit a business through nefarious means, theft. Yep. Yeah. Or it can be accidental, or it can be, um, you know, well, I say accidental, it's because of some kind of mistake or, or without. So is there a difference in a distinction there? Are we talking about theft, or are we saying that if this happens accidentally, then you've effectively stolen it? No, it, it's theft. It's, okay. It has to be, it's theft. We're talking about stealing. Okay. And, um, I mean, I, I could probably spend every day for the rest of my life just reporting on different trade secret cases because they're they're happening all over the place yeah, and yeah. sometimes the people are surprised to find themselves in that sort of situation i mean mm -hmm. um if i think of some some ones that i sort of some cases are like like a, a lady who ran a gym in america one of her trainers who was a independent cons um, contractor fell out with her left, set up a competing gym in the same town and started selling her clients. And she went after that uh, other gym owner now for a trade secret theft. She lost the case because she wasn't able right. to articulate in court that the information was a trade secret. But you'd never expect two gym owners to be involved in a trade <laughs> secret case. Um, a engineer in Austria back in 2013, 2014, software engineer walked out with some code he'd written on a memory stick. And six or seven years later, there's a big case in America involving the two of the largest wind turbine companies in a serious trade secret dispute, all related back to that incident to that, in yeah, Austria. Yeah. Um, a large engineering consultancy company did some work for a company that makes medical e-records e for hospitals. Uh, right. They did a piece of R&D subcontracting work. Mm -hmm. However, failed to understand the information that they were supplied as part of that project and were fined $970 million for trade secret theft, even though they were arguing, wow. but you gave us the stuff. Yes, they did, but they didn't understand that they were trade secrets they were being entrusted with. Right. As we're having this podcast today, there's someone sitting in a cell in Ohio State Penitentiary looking out the bars, he's in there for trade secret theft, not mm. for terrorism or drug dealing or mass murder, but for trade secret theft. Mm. So... It, it it can get you, you can find yourself in these cases um, sometimes because of deliberate action, but sometimes because you just don't join the dots and realize what, what we're doing over here. Yeah. Um, and of course, what's what's interesting as well about trade secrets is that a significant number of them are being shared. Um, so we assume that mm. uh, you know people sometimes mistakenly think that their trade secrets are like the Coca-Cola formula locked in a safe in Atlanta, yeah, yeah. with only two or three people having access. But actually, that's not the reality. What we're saying is a lot of companies have trade secrets, but they've also embraced, for example, collaborative or open forms of innovation sure. or R&D sure. subcontracting, whatever. And their trade secrets are being entrusted to a key supplier, yep. a key customer, a key distributor, a collaboration partner. 
So some of their trade secrets, they only not, not only have they got to worry about they themselves keeping it secret and doing reasonable steps, but they've now got to worry about is somebody else also treating my trade secret with tender loving care? Yeah. Or the reverse, some of the trade secrets in their possession don't legally belong to them. They've been entrusted with trade secrets belonging to their supplier, right? Okay. their collaboration okay. partner. And so there's, the there's proof a risk that is there. That the, there's the, a big risk there because yeah, if you look yeah. at a lot of the cases, they're often between former friends. Mm. Yeah. I was collaborating with you, but then we fallen out. I mean, just recently, uh, Ford, I think, got fined $100 million for trade secret theft from a supplier that they've been working with since, the, since about 1997. So from 1997 up to about 2013, 2014, wow. they were a trusted supplier. Then Ford did something with the information that they were entrusted with. The supplier got unhappy. In 2015, a, a dispute started. Went to court last year, 2020. And Ford lost the case for having had done trade secret theft. And this was from a guy they'd been working with or a company they'd been working with in the, I think, software space right. for many, many years. Yeah. Um, and I guess I, from, from, the, from the business's point of view, then, um, also entering into these uh, collaborative agreements, if you don't understand and treat your own trade secrets with care before you enter into those, then you could be giving away really important information without even realizing it. Well, absolutely. I mean, if you think about it, it's, it's, it's strange to put the words trade secret and open innovation in the same sentence, but mm. in most collaborative or open forms of innovation, you're sharing highly valuable confidential business information. You don't typically yeah. get into collaboration with somebody else to share stuff that's already in the public domain because you're thinking, <laughs> well, if it's in the public domain, why am I collaborating with you? <laughs> It's a very good point. You tend, yeah. you tend to get into collaborations and then you start sharing. So, for example, if you've got an R&D group collaborating with another R&D group, I'm going to likely be sharing stuff with you like my software code or my test scripts yeah, or my yeah. test data or my product roadmap or financial information about my, my parts list or whatever. Mm -hmm. And you think, well, what is that information I've just given to the other party? It's not stuff I want in the public domain. These are, my, these are potentially trade secrets. Yeah. And the reverse, what information are they giving to me? Well, it's likely to be a trade secret. Um, and uh, unfortunately, I think that a lot of companies don't join the dots between the agreements they put in place with these other parties and then the reality of what happens yeah. post the agreement being signed. Yeah. I mean, just let's go back to the basic agreement, NDAs. I mean, they're like confetti by most companies. Yeah, yeah they're everywhere. <laughs> and you think, well, the reason you signed an NDA is because the next step after an NDA is I'm going to give you something confidential or mm -hmm. you're going to give me something confidential. Yeah. Usually... It, it may be the director's um, telephone number on his desk, but it may be something more valuable. It may be a trade secret. Yeah. So just look at how many NDAs companies sign and they say, well, that's a good indication of how many trade secrets you're sharing. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, we've got a good understanding of what it is, um, what the risks are and why it is that businesses should care about them and make sure that they're sort of doing something with it um, at least. Shall we sort of run through um, a kind of a, a made-up scenario? Um, we could think of a business name, I guess, but um, I'm not very good at that sort of thing. If you can think of one, Donald, then go for it. Um, but Ac Acme Inc. I think it was the <laughs> typical company in those cartoons when I was a kid. So we'll yeah, say the Roadrunner and all that yeah, sort of thing. Yeah, okay, runner, yeah, so yeah. we'll call it Acme Inc. So here's Acme Inc. Uh, I'm the CEO of Acme Inc. We're a technology business, medium-sized and we've gotten to the point now where we're kind of thinking, right, okay, we need to take our IP a lot more seriously. They probably should have done it before now, um, many people would argue. 
But let's say we've got to this stage, we are where we are, we need to start looking at it. And one of the things we want to start looking at is trade secrets, making sure we understand them and that we're protecting them properly. Where where do they begin, Donna? Where, where do you think they should That's start? Yeah. Okay, well, they got to first of all accept that it's a journey. They're not. It's not like a light switch where they're going to suddenly go from having little or poor understanding of trade secrets to suddenly being world-class. This is a change project. Okay. And yeah, it might yeah. take months, if not a few years, to get to the point where they're comfortable. Mm -hmm. But on this journey, there are a number of key milestones or a key a number of key steps they need to understand. I mm -hmm. would suggest the first thing they need to do is provide basic education and trade secrets to all employees. Right. Because if they don't even know what this stuff is, how can you expect them to start to take it more seriously and appreciate it and so forth? So I think education is one of the bookends or one of the key um, components or key steps in this journey. Starting with the leadership, I, I guess. Yes, starting with yeah. the leadership. Yeah. yeah. Starting with the leadership. Um, so what, what's the sort of commitment there then? I'm, I'm now, as the CEO of Acme Income, thinking, well, that sounds it expensive what do i need to do what what do we how do we go well, about it could be it could be as as simple as um the next board meeting you put trade secrets on the agenda and you make sure someone gives a presentation to the board to say this is trade secrets 101 this okay. is what it is all about and then we filter that through and the then, rest of the business right and then filter it down and of course these days you know, uh, with with employees being busy and so forth you may need to, you may need to balance is it is a classroom is it e-learning because they may already have e-learning for things like health and safety or sure. uh, diversity training or anti-money laundering you say let's get the basic let's get our employees having a basic appreciation of what is it yeah and you could introduce that at sort of um, induction stage as well i guess you can do induction yeah 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 um okay secondly they should they should have a trade secret policy for the company, just like they've got a security policy or an employee policy or a, a invention handling policy. They should outline what's going to be their overarching approach. What's, what's going to be our policy? And this isn't, uh, keep it short and sweet if possible, but they also need to understand if we didn't have a trade secret policy, do we need to adjust or tweak any of our other policies? So for example, Okay. Um, you talked and about collaboration and induction. You... So, for example, yeah. it might be that they got to think about collaboration policies. Well, actually, yeah. we need to do what I think. Or, hey, Joe, you talked about new starters. It might be that going forward, when they when a new starter comes in in their HR policy checklist, they remind the new starter not to bring in trade secrets from their previous employer and contaminating sure. us. Sure. Or it might be on the exit interviews, they say, well, why don't we have a conversation with our employees as they depart to remind them under no circumstances can they walk out with memory sticks? Or if we find out that, we will go after them something I say all the time, it's one of the easiest things you can do. Because most people, yep. I think, don't, whether or not they've, it's class to be stolen in the end, most people aren't trying to steal it, you know, or at least you can stop the ones that are just ignorant yeah. of the legislation. There's a study that says, a study from a couple of years back in the US, 40% of all employees steal something in the last few days of employment. <laughs> Admittedly, most of them might steal paper, uh, clip or pins, whatever, paper clips yeah. or whatever. <laughs> but a percentage steal stuff like your software code or your processes yeah. or your client list and so forth. So, yeah, so I think um, a second step would be have a policy that says this is going to be our approach. So what I'm going to, I'm going to just ask you to dive into that a bit more because... One of the things I've noticed is that we were two steps in and we've not actually sort of thought about what the trade secrets might be within the business yet. So what can go into a policy at this stage? What sort of thing can we put in a policy 
Um, and what, what type of thing would you expect to see? Well, it, it can be, for example, it can have some overarching details about the, our approach to education. So it could say, okay, okay. we expect whatever. It could be um, uh, a prompt that other policies that will be revisited as a result of this policy, like the HR policy, like the IT mm -hmm. policy and so forth. Mm -hmm. It could be, um, for example, if another company gives you one of their trade secrets, Mm -hmm. What are you going to do? Yeah. So the yeah. policy could say, so I'm just about to collaborate with, uh, so Acme Link, Acme Inc. is going to con uh, collaborate with Joe Blogs Limited. Yeah. Joe Blogs Limited says, by the way, this information I'm going to give you now is a trade secret. What, is your, what, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? So yeah. it could be your policy says, for example, could, I know one company that does this. If another company gives you a trade secret, they must mark it as a trade secret. Mm-hmm. And they must inform you at the point in time they give it to you that it's a trade secret. What they yeah. don't accept is a company giving you information, it's not marked, and they're not even telling you it's a trade secret. So you're then having to second guess as to whether the information you've just been entrusted with qualifies as a trade secret or not. So yeah. they said, no, no, we don't want that situation anymore. We, if you're going to give us a trade secret, we need to know about it. Yeah. And of course, then what we do is when we get a trade secret from you, we commit to looking after it with the same degree of tender loving care as if it was one of our own. Yeah, we will. We will wrap it in protection. We'll limit access. Restrict access. We make sure yeah. it's secure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And that could, yep. as you say, knock on and change the wording of agreements, change the wording of of NDAs right. and things like that. The reverse could also be true. So we have a company in the chemical sector. So if they entrust a trade secret to another company, so Acme Inc. gives their trade secret to Joe Bloggs, in their supplier assessment checklist now, not only are they asking Joe Bloggs to guarantee that they're financially stable, that they're not using child mm -hmm. labor and so forth. They're also asking them, are you capable of looking after trade secrets? Mm -hmm. So they will not entrust their trade secrets to anybody else unless the other company has the basics in place, like employee education, a policy, uh, reasonable protection measures. Because right. they're thinking, so it's just simple question. So Steve, would you give me a trade secret if I t told you I had no idea what trade secrets are? <laughs> Well, yeah. Would you entrust your trade secret to me if I said to you, listen, Steve, brutally, honestly, I don't even know anything about trade secrets. Um, I don't, I won't be able to keep it secret, yada, yada, yada. Would you still give it to me? And no, I'd, to give it to me? Yeah, I'd point them to one of your um, e-learning <laughs> tools, Donald, that's what I'd yeah. do. Yeah, so this chemical <laughs> company now has incorporated some trade secret checks into their supplier relation management process. Mm -hmm. And that's mentioned in their policy. Right. It says before a trade secret okay. is entrusted to another company, you need to check that the supplier or purchasing department have sanity checked their ability to look after it. Sure. Okay. So we've so got- um... It's things like this you need to think about. You're dealing with value. I mean, the most important thing is these are assets. These are valuable assets. I often think that's something think... that's missed because you yeah. know, you, if you had, and uh, somebody, uh, Will Chelton, who I interviewed on, on the podcast in a different episode, he sort of said, you know, if you had a Tesla parked in a garage, you wouldn't just toss the keys at, anybody and say here take it for a spin you know but you could have something that's worth the same value as that or or even more to your business and yet because it's not a tangible thing because it's not a real thing it's hard for people to imagine the value in it sometimes yep yep and that's I, the, that's the challenge that's the challenge with all intangibles because you don't yeah. it's not like the tesla sitting in your garage you don't yeah. see it so it, yeah. you're it's easy just to sort of ah it's not really real or it's not valuable or whatever That's but it. i think the policy is a crucial um uh, step in this roadmap on this road 
generally. Okay, so we've got um, basic education, trade secret policy, and then, yeah, a process. How are you going to handle these assets? First of all, how are you going to identify what assets are potentially in your company? Once you have identified them, on what basis are you going to decide, ah, we're going to keep this secret, we're not going to keep this secret. Once we decide we're going to keep this secret, how are we going to things like, do things like control access? How are we going to wrap it in protection? How are we going to make sure that it's still secret the following day? Yeah. Or the day a week later? So you have to have a process, just like you have a process in the patenting world. You have a process to get from an inventive idea right through to granted patent. And there are stages along the way. You get an inventive idea, you do some analysis, you make a decision, you draft it, you file it, you prosecute it, you get a granted patent. You have a process. Yeah. Well, you have to have a process for trade secrets, except it's a different process this time because you're not interacting with the government. You're on your sure, own. Sure. But how are you going to identify them? Mm. What's going to be your mechanism? Once you do identify them, who makes the call and how is the call made that, yeah, we're going to keep this information as a trade secret or this information here, you know what, that goes on the patenting route or this information here, that's a publication. Or, yeah. you know, this information here, it's worthless. And so you when you're talking process, about ID, when you're talking about identifying them, I mean, I deal a lot with patents. And so I'm often sort of doing invention capture sessions where we're kind of like talking to the R&D team. But that's quite a fast changing environment where new inventions can be coming up really, really regularly. When it comes to trade secrets, what do you recommend? If I, if we, if as Acme Inc, we did this, we are, we went through a session uh, with you or somebody else, and we identified all of our trade secrets on day one. When do we need to redo that, or is there is it a living thing where people can proactively sort of? It's a living often, thing, but also right. you 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 probably will first of all. It's a bit like how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? You're probably yeah. going to first of all to in the in the initial identification. Um, Break your company down by function or by team or by project. Sure. So, uh, you yeah. know, say, okay, let's concentrate first of all on the research group. Let's figure out what trade secrets exist inside there. And it's a mixture of pull and push approaches. You may need to go and provoke them and challenge them to say, do you mm -hmm. have, you know, do you have schematics? Do you have blueprints? Do you have formulas? Do you have algorithms? And then really quiz them to understand, well, did we create it? You know, have we published this already? Is it patented already? Okay, uh, have we given it to local university to uh, do a thesis on or whatever? Is it really secret? Is it valuable to us, this algorithm mm. you have? You know, what's the value of it? And of course, the value could be in the future. It doesn't necessarily it may not have value yet today. And then do we somehow protect it or can we, can we protect this? Yeah. And you might say, okay, the algorithm is going to be one of our trade secrets. Okay. And, uh, but of course, I think, I think in the beginning, you have to do a little bit of pulling because if you just sit there and wait for your employees to tell you about these trade secrets, you'd be waiting for quite a while. Because, you know, at least with things like inventions, um, with patent and invention, with inventive ideas in the patenting process, you've got things like inventor award. You've got, you've got, you've got triggers or uh, things that can help you cr get the creative juices to flow. Yeah. Trade secrets, you've got to, I think, start with a pull and then over time get the push mechanisms yeah. and approaches working. Because it's part of the education Yes. as well is that that pulling yeah. because often and i know we've spoken about this in the past but you'll sit down with somebody and say uh, do you have any trade secrets nice broad question and they're like no I, i'm not aware of any of those and then when you actually fire the questions at them like the ones you were just saying you know do you have blueprints any software code things like that then it's like oh yeah well i've got that yeah and and then they start to tie the two things together and the next time you have the conversation 
they're a bit more clued up on what trade secrets are and what trade secrets they might have um, yep. in, in their possession, I guess. And, and of course, one other challenge you'll have with trade secrets is that, you know, when you go, let's say you pick R&D, first of all, to start doing the, the harvesting of trade secrets, they'll already be familiar with liaising with IP people because of yeah. the patenting yeah. process. But if you're in a factory, this might be the very first time they've dealt with an IP person. Yeah. So they're, they're trying to figure out who the hell are you and why is there a guy with a shirt and tie here asking us about <laughs> our, our test scripts or our, our processes or, our, 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 or the way we configure this machinery or whatever. So they may, it might be a little bit more challenging as you in, interact with functions who typically don't interact with the IP function. Sure. Of course, that's it's sure. a two-way street. It's also new for the IP guy to perhaps be walking around a dusty factory environment trying to figure out, okay, what am I looking for here? Yeah. But, you know, I mean, we do, we do notice companies with factories tend to have a lot of trade secrets in that particular part of the organization. But yeah. they may not think about it because they of think, course. oh, this is normal stuff. We deal with this every day. Yeah. So, um, okay. So we've identified them. We need now to sort of decide. Sorry. Sorry. It's okay. We need to decide what we're going to do with them. Um, and, and so, then we, you so when, when we let's, let's, let's dive into that, though, that decision process. And I guess really okay. what we're talking about there is value. That's the second part it's it's value to the business does it have any value to the business and there's loads of ways you can assess that but most people will have an understanding fairly intuitively i guess yeah so you you just like so i suppose it's the issue of met trade secret metadata is what you're now trying to do is understand about the trades or about the information that the, the person has informed you about so let's say the the algorithm the the engineer says yes i've got this algorithm developed so you now want to get an understanding to say, in a sense, you're sanity checking, does it meet all the criteria? So you're trying to figure out first of all, is it really secret? Because if it's not secret, then forget it, just move on. So if, if it, this has already been included in a patent application or it's been published in some technical journal, then you fail the secrecy test. It's not secret. Sure. Is it valuable to you? And, and you want to know is how is it valuable as well? Um, so it could be, well, this algorithm means we can process data 10 times faster than any of our competitors. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. Or yeah. this algorithm does this, or it gives us a cost advantage, or it gives us an efficiency advantage, or this yeah. means that our product is better quality, or yada, yada, yada. So you got to figure out, okay, because the, the, the person may not be able to put a financial valuation on it, but they can articulate how it adds value. Yeah. And you're trying to really dig into the value. Then, of course, you want to know is it protected? Have you taken reasonable steps? You know, is there, have you limited access? Um, are there anybody, like for example, if it's only employees that have access to the information, well then your employment contracts will help you because you've got legal protection. Sure. But you want to know, okay, are, are there contractors who've got access to this algorithm? Mm -hmm. Okay, do those contractors have an agreement? Are there any third parties we're working with have access to this agreement, this algorithm? Well, can I see the agreements we have with these people? Does it anywhere there, is there a confidentiality clause or a trade secret provisions in these agreements? So I want to know about the legal protections. Then the technical protections, well, it could be everything from, is it locked in a safe or if it's digital in nature, where is it on the network? So you might then bring in the IT guy to say, the algorithm is stored in that part of the network. Um, is it secure? Is it, is, you know, can, can anybody, yeah. can, can North Korean hackers tomorrow morning just walk into that part of the network? You want to know, is it secure? So you're looking at technical protection, legal protection measures, and then maybe administrative protection measures, like for example, okay, the people who work on the algorithm, how long have they been in the company? Oh, two of them joined yesterday. Where did they join from? IBM. By the way, when they came from IBM, did this algorithm come from IBM? 
So you, you want to know basic stuff. Right. So you, yeah. you're trying to figure out yeah. secrecy, valuation, reasonable protections. Um, you probably didn't want to go a little bit further. You want to know, okay, when was the first iteration of this algorithm? So like, did you create it yesterday? Did you create it 10 years ago? Okay, what, when you created it first, who created it? Mm. Well, did you create it 10 years ago? Did somebody else? Is that person still with us? So you're, you're really, you're like the Columbo um, detective on TV all those years ago. You're hitting them with a whole lot of questions. So you have a really good understanding of, ah, this is the asset. It's yeah. an algorithm created 10 years ago by our employees. Yes, it was shared by with this company, but we have an NDA or whatever. It's yeah. been developed. It sits on this part of the network. It's got this security around it. Now you begin to get a comfortable feeling, say, you know, we have something here. Yeah. Um, now, obviously, the level of data and the level of metadata might might differ from a four-person startup versus a large multinational. In fact, I just had a really yeah. interesting conversation with the trade secret manager of a multinational yesterday. We went through some of their the metadata they're gathering on their trade secrets. And there's, there's probably 12, 14, 15 pieces of information that he gathers on every trade secret. Right. Obviously, that's standard, he's got 14 or 15 questions. Yeah. Oh, he standardized it. He standardized yeah. it. Um, and... He's expecting fairly good answers back. And of course, if he's got a gap, then it tells him, okay, there's something now I need to go and clarify or, or I need to investigate this or there's something we need to fix before we can truly be comfortable that this is a trade secret that maybe mm -hmm. this, I'm worried that we don't have enough access controls. I'm not, I'm worried about the fact we're about to share this with a company, but I don't feel comfortable that it's, we have our supplier relationships, it relays our, um, the staff who are accessing this are, are moving too much. We got to check in people coming in and people coming out or whatever. So, um, you're, you're being a detective at this point. You're really yeah. trying to understand. And of course, mm -hmm. then when you have that information, you start to catalog it. Yeah. So that's then at least the next step. Have you got a way? to catalog these assets, just like the patent office has catalog of your patents. So you can mm -hmm. go to the government and say, tell me all the data you have about all my patents. You're not even thinking the same way. Well, there's no patent office this time. It's me internally. I've got to keep records of all of this so that I can, I can um, build up a picture of my portfolio of trade secrets. Yeah. Yeah. And it's sort of, and there was a bit of blurring there, I guess, between that decision process and, and the cataloging, I guess, because part of the cataloging and the control um, will include some of the features that you were looking for yes. when you were making yes. that decision process. Yes, yes. Do you know what? I look at it, um, and I was originally, when we started the podcast, Donald, I was sort of thinking, you know, what can businesses do themselves and where are they going to need some support? And when I look at the things that we've been through, which are basic education, setting up a trade secret policy and then getting a process for sort of identification, assessment and decision, and then cataloging and control. I really feel like they're going to need support on every one of those steps. Oh, yes. And then, but then I think once, once it's done and you've got that, that process, then hopefully most of the management after that would be doable themselves. Yeah. There, there probably is a, a large amount to overcome in the beginning when you yeah. get it all set up and then after a while you get into more maintenance by the way one other ingredient one other step in the journey is they need to set up a governance structure mm -hmm. so they need to make sure there's management attention on this because why does management need to be uh, paying attention well first of all these are valuable assets so they should be paying attention but mm -hmm. there may be a budget required there may be certain metrics that they want to measure yeah. or monitor or kpis there may be key decisions that require senior management to make the call. Um, mm -hmm. Our most valuable trade secret is our algorithm. We've got a request to share it with the university. Can anybody make that decision or does that need to go to management? Sure, yeah, yeah. So you need some sort of governance structure 
Um, and it, by the way, this governance structure isn't just made up of IP people. No. Um, I think that they should be representatives from, uh, if a lot of your trade seekers are technical, maybe the CTO should be on that board. I think there should be a HR person because of the people issues related to trade secrets. I think there should be for somebody from sourcing and procurement, particularly if a lot of your trade secrets are being shared with others. They have a, 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 an input on this. Um, and the surprise one might be, you might even need to have somebody from your finance and accounts and tax because more and more, these are probably the most valuable assets your company possesses. And there may be implications from a finance or accounting or tax perspective. Yeah. So your governance isn't just the IP person making this decision in his or her own. I, I like to say governance structure that has represented us from some of the key corporate functions. Um, it doesn't need to be just like you have a patent committee that makes decisions about your patents and your patent exactly. portfolio. Um, yeah. It's a similar sort of structure, except now you're focused on your trade secrets. Yeah. Um, but you may not always, for example, think about inviting your HR person to your patent committee or your <laughs> finance person to your patent committee. Whereas I would argue that your trade secrets Definitely, yeah. are a little bit broader. They might require a slightly different structure or a particip yeah. participation list. Okay. Um, and and after that, I guess you've kind of got um, everything you need to be... Certainly, you're covering most of the basics there, right? I mean, you're covering... I think, I think if, doing if you have education, if you, I think if you have education in place, the policy a process, you didn't have the identification and classification or the cataloging, yeah. and then you have some sort of governance. Mm -hmm. I think you put yourself in a very strong position to at least say, now, will you ever get to having identified 100% of all your trade secrets? Probably never. Yeah, yeah, Probably, that's the thing. But 90% but or 95% is much better than 0%. Absolutely, absolutely. And it, it gets you along. You've also got to realize, um, the other thing about why I think the governance is important is, Trade secrets, in a sense, require a cultural change to your company. Mm. You've got to now appreciate that there's a secrecy element to your business, whereas a lot of companies talk about openness and we treat everyone the same and everyone's friends and yada, yada, yada. Yes, but when it comes to trade secrets, you've got to have this sort of secrecy component or even paranoid component to say, well, we gotta, we got to watch this stuff because yeah. trade secrets protect us from theft. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, when it comes to IP risks, I suppose like risk in general, if you look at the psychology of risk, a lot of people think bad things happen to other companies or yeah. nobody would steal our trade secrets. It's other companies whose trade secrets are stolen or it's other people who will find themselves in court in dispute with their suppliers. That won't happen to us. Yeah. And then they're shocked when it happens to them. Yeah. That's like you say, who, who would have thought that gym owners would have been talking about this stuff? Well, yeah. and, and I bet they yeah. didn't <laughs> until, yeah. until they got there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, listen, that's great. And there's so much value in there, so much. And I, and I think we ticked the box for actionable. Um, and it was great to have your input. Once again, Donald, it always is. It's always a pleasure to talk thanks, to you. Um, and thanks so much for coming on. Um, I'm just, uh, before we go, if people have got questions that have risen up after listening to this, how can they find you? Where should they reach out to get you to talk to you about trade secrets a bit more? Well, um, if they know if they know you, Stephen, don't know me so well. Happy for you to put them in contact. Um, Perfect. I'm active on LinkedIn, so feel free to connect to me there. Yeah. Um, Jordan Innovation Services is the uh, the company, and we have a website, and I'm contactable there. Um, so I think hopefully those those gives you gives people some ways of contacting me. Um, um, Donald O'Connell at Jordan IP Solutions.com is my email address. So I'm. I think probably the best way is these days is just connect to me on LinkedIn and then we can, we can take from there. Absolutely. All right. That's great. Uh, thanks again for coming on, Donald. 
Thank you for the invitation. Thank you. Uh, it's always a pleasure. And uh, thanks to everyone for listening and we'll see you next time.